Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome in, Michael Calhoun. And Travis Sheridan, and we're doing uh, this week's show on location, which is kind of cool. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing the show from the church basement this week. I don't, I don't think we've ever done a show from the church basement. Uh, and I know before the show you were asking, it's St. Saint, Saint Matthew's, I believe, uh, over in, right outside Cherokee, and you were asking, well, is that Catholic? Is it Episcopalian? I'm thinking it's about hip-hop. Like that's, that's the re- religion of this, of this space now. Oh yeah, love the tin ceiling and these cool shuffleboard you know, inlays and the floors here. Awesome space in the basement of this church. We're gonna talk about this space, the fellowship, and then we're gonna talk about the new 311 app that's out from St. Louis County. If you have a pothole in your street, there's a new technology way to uh, submit those claims. There's also conversation coming up about Missouri potentially being a, a top 10 technology state. And then we're gonna go to West County Center and we're gonna check out a new store at the mall that brings some of those cool gadgets you might find in Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Uh, they br- it bring it to the mall so you can actually try them out and test them out before you purchase them. But first, why are we here? We're here because uh, St. Louis has a huge music culture. I don't know if, I mean, I hope our listeners know that. And if they don't, they'll know it after this show. But we're here with Darian Wigfall. Uh, he's part of the Farfetched. Uh, it's a music collective in St. Louis. And they've recently acquired uh, this beautiful church, like I said, outside of Cherokee called The Fellowship. And uh, Darian, tell us what you guys are doing with this space now. And thanks for being here. So yeah, we, uh, we are leasing this space basically as a music venue. Um, but right now we're more running it as a rental hall and a community space, um, renting it out to people that want to do events here and things like that. Um, but still what we attract is people that want to do things around art and music because of our connection to the Farfetch Music Collective. How did you find this space? How did you know you wanted to start a space like this? How did this come about? Yeah, so uh, Jason Deem actually bought this church in 2014, and I think he's had a few events here. We, uh, as Farfetch, had a secret party here last June, and after that, we sort of had a conversation about, well, I thought, you know, y'all would be a great organization to run this as a venue, and kind of went back and forth and ended up me doing it sort of as a solo venture, but backed by Farfetch and Larry Morris of uh, Ilphonics. And what kind of things have happened here so far? What kind of events have gone on? I, as Michael mentioned, there's some really cool like travertine uh, shuffleboard embedded in the ground from the old church basement. How are people using this space? 
Yeah, so I would love to get a buffer for these uh, shuffleboard pieces, but right now what it's been used for is like community potlucks. We've had, uh, the AKAs had a brunch here to celebrate their centennial. Um, and we've had Flow Jam here, which is acrobats and, and hula hoops. We've had a New Year's Eve party that was really uh, well received. It was something that was free because typically, you know, you have to pay $50 or $60 to get in. And so we just had it free where we had vendors and people could sell their wares and things like that. Um, we've had a beach show called The Link Up that Farfetch puts on. Um, we've had a church that comes in here and does a service like it's kind of an alternative service with hip-hop and like a live band and things like that um yeah there's pretty much anything you can think of we've probably had something similar to that here and, uh, and how important are spaces like this to the community as a whole uh, to have a space that's flexible open and can really be a canvas for somebody to create I think it's ultra important. I think running, and I know as running a music collective, we always needed space to do what we wanted to do as far as performing music, but a lot of our artists also are visual artists, so they wanted to hang paintings or, you know, have a stage presentation that maybe at a venue didn't necessarily want us to have all of the things, whether that be incense or a flag or whatever. And now we have a space that's a blank slate that we can pretty much put up and pull down whatever we need to to make the experience what we want for the people that are coming in but then also for the community to have space because I what I keep hearing is people are walking down the street from their house to the events that are happening here and then they find out oh I can rent this space now I want to have an event here so we had a black vendor market here last Saturday which a lady just came to a fashion show that was upstairs and she figured out that she could rent it and then we had a little conversation and then she had her own little vendor market. So um, what I'm finding out is that people need space outside their homes to do things and I think it's ultra important for them to have that, especially in a, in a place that's walkable like the Cherokee Street area. Yeah, you see the stage here, you might think, okay, so there are shows here, where can I go to find out when the tickets are for sale? But it's really cool that this is, this is a community-driven yeah. space, and it's not where you come to observe and take in. You come to interact, you come to learn, and you come to, to meet new people, it seems like. Right. That's exactly what's happening, and that's sort of a byproduct of what we do. I, I initially thought we would have to put on more shows, but the community response has been that, oh, I want to do something here. Now I want to do something here. Now I want to do something here. And our plan always was to do one in every four shows, because uh, getting advice coming into a music venue from people at 2720, shout out to Josh Loyal, um, he was saying you have to decide how much of the programming you want to do before you go in so that you don't run yourself ragged trying to do all of the shows and trying to do every single show every single weekend. So I thought, uh, a quarter of the programming would be manageable for all the things that we're doing with my partners being very busy. Um, but it just so happened that the community decided to fill in that other 75% really easily. So, uh, Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned Farfetch a couple of times. Um, it's not really a music label, it really is a music collective. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and then uh, Darian and I have had a chance to talk a couple of times about their really cool business model for Farfetch'd, which is you could act, if you like their collective and you like all these artists, you could subscribe and just get all the new music that comes in. And so my little shout out to Farfetch'd, y'all subscribe to that because it's always good music all the time. So talk a little bit about what you're doing with Farfetch'd. Sure, thank you. So yeah, the Farfetch'd Music Collective was founded in 2011 by Damon Davis. I came in around 2013. I had my own music 
label with uh, another artist that I brought in to the music collective um, at that time. And so we've been running since then. And basically it's like a socialist take on a record label. So there's not a lot of money that's being passed through, but there's a lot of knowledge being shared and a lot of opportunities being passed to people. Whereas if we were trying to do these things individually or as, as a group just on our own, I don't think a lot of the momentum that we've had in the in the years past would have happened. So we saw, I think Damon Davis was making a lot of projects with people like Cave of Swords and Adult Fur and uh, Lika Sh- uh, Shubatidze and Scrub and things like that. And he was saying that, why am I making all these different projects in different places and going to all these different people's houses when I could all have them come to my house, we can produce the music all here and then maybe even produce a collective piece. And so that's what uh, Farfetch was born out of. And they ended up making a a compilation called Prologue, which we put out every year. Uh, We just made the eighth one um, in this January and working on the ninth. And so basically what it is, is a platform for artists to come in get knowledge and understanding of the music industry, build their brand and have a overarching brand that gives them some credibility in the town and starting to get some credibility nationally, I think, too, and internationally. So it's cool to hear about incubators, organizations, spaces, groups that that help people who've got great ideas, great passion, great talent, and they just aren't familiar with how whatever industry it is works. And so it sounds like this is really awesome for musicians who who are like, where do I begin to figure out? Yeah, and it provides them a platform, right? Like, it doesn't matter what your business is. If if the West County Mall has a store for people that are doing Kickstarters and Indiegogos, that's a platform to get those products in front of more people. Uh, Darian, talk a little bit about the platform side of Farfetched. Sure, yeah, so the platform is more of our digital distribution and the marketing side of things. So what we do is, with the compilation that we put together every year, it's usually a look back at what artists have done in the past year or look forward to some of the projects that are coming up. So we use that as sort of a marketing tool to say, hey, look for this song from this artist, uh, specifically maybe like Good For You from Katera, um, where we put it on our our prologue eight this year, but she also has a project called Coco Voyage coming out later this year, which that will be the single for. So um, we use our website, our Bandcamp, and then our distribution through uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and things like that to help these artists get a, a name through our name and then also get the splits that they need so that we don't own the rights to their music. They always own the rights, but if, they, if, we, put it, if we sell it through our platform, we might take a percentage of the sales. And uh, let me see. I... I don't. I couldn't remember how many bands are part of Farfetch, but how many different artists do you have in the collective? Yeah, it fluctuates from time to time. Um, yeah, exactly. The nature of artists and, and creative differences and things like that. Um, but I think we're hovering around 17 artists right now. Um, and that's from solo acts to groups and things like that. And we encompass music from R&B to hip hop to instrumental music to uh, like post-rock with Cave of Swords and uh, we're just really experimental electronic music. I think all of it is based in electronics. Most of it's produced through some kind of computer, but a lot of our uh, musicians uh, do play instruments. They just produce everything through like Ableton or uh, Pro Tools or something like that. So where can people go to get more info or to subscribe or, or get involved with uh, Farfetched? Where can they get info on that? Sure, just go to wearefarfetched.net. Um, we're pretty much We Are Farfetched across all platforms. If you want to find us on social media, um, that is our main website, and that'll take you to 
the videos and the music and the different artists that are all on the collective. And, and what about the fellowship? How do people get connected to this? Besides, besides just walking down the street and walking in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't miss it. It's a big church right on the corner of uh, Jefferson and Potomac. But if you're looking for it online, look for the fellowship STL online, um, the fellowship STL.com and then fellowship STL on Facebook. And what's next? What are your plans for the rest of this building? I mean, the basement's incredible, but we're outside looking at the stained glass windows, for instance. What's the status of the rest of the building? What do you hope to do with that? So it's still in development. I know the owner of the building would like to put in uh, uh, heating and AC upstairs. I think we can do some creative things with maybe some heat panels and things like that, just to like heat and cool the space. But I definitely want to make that into another space for art and music. What I've been doing is researching online churches that have been converted into music spaces. And so there's a couple in Nashville and Atlanta that I, I want to visit later this year just driving, but I know the, the biggest one is in like Portland. There's also one in San Francisco that I'd like to visit uh, just to see what they did to change the sound because right now, you know, if you go up there, it's, it's designed to make the human voice sound godly. So there's a really crazy echo. Um, but if they built in there, somebody has, has figured that out. So I, what I want to do now is do some research and development on, on the upper space and just continue to run the, the lower spaces, community space, and around art and music. All right, Darian Wigfall, thank you so much for taking some time. Thanks for having us out here at The Fellowship over in uh, just outside Cherokee. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, we talk about geospatial a lot on the show because it has a bright future in St. Louis. And today we'll talk specifically about geofutures. See how we put these things together. Uh, we have Andy Deering on the line uh, chatting with us. He is the project lead for the geofutures project here in St. Louis. Andy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi, Travis. Hi, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, First of all, we, we talk about geospatial has a lot to do with the new NGA project uh, that's happening in North St. Louis. But what is GeoFutures specifically? So GeoFutures is a, a strategic initiative that we've gathered uh, folks from around the community, uh, civic entrepreneurs, academic, uh, industry, government leaders. And really, it's creating this initiative and finishing uh, establishing a strategic roadmap for geospatial and, and from an economic development and, and putting out some real strong goals and plans for how we can continue to grow and maintain this geospatial hub from today into the future. And Andy, this has really begun to pick up steam, it seems like, uh, recently. Just this past week, we've had two companies announce the uh, the establishment of one, their U.S. headquarters, and the other, a major office being opened uh, by a Colorado-based company in St. Louis. Seems like this is really picking up uh, right about now. Is this only going to continue to gain momentum as NGA gets even closer to becoming a reality in North St. Louis? Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, I think a lot of us kind of saw this potentially happening and, and saw this opportunity that are here. And the, the folks that are sitting around the Studio Futures Initiative all kind of saw this, that they could play out this way. And I think the big part that we see here in the opportunity is, not, is well beyond NGA2. And, and there's other, these organizations that are moving in not only work with and for the NGA, but they also work with other organizations in and around the area and even beyond and globally and internationally. Like, like with Maxar and, and what they do for their primary mission. So it's great to see these, these organizations seeing the value and the potential in St. Louis and the opportunities that we have here. Well, and speaking of people who saw potential, your former company, Geos, uh, uh, Boundless, uh, 
was in New York and you saw the future and relocated a lot of the team here to St. Louis uh, before you started moving on and doing things with uh, with Geo Futures. Uh, speaking of the future, what does this look like for the future workforce and uh, what's the Geo Futures committee doing as it relates to prepping the, the, the talent that's needed for these jobs? Well, it's a it's a great question. I think the what we're doing or what we're thinking about from a talent pipeline is, you know, what we one one statement that was made from NGA, uh, you know, a year and a half ago at the 2018 GEOIN symposium was the workforce that is there today, um, you know, is not 50, 40 to 50 percent of that workforce is not going to be there when they open their camp, their new campus doors in 2025. And so that's beyond that. And, and these organizations that are starting to move here and starting to set up these big hiring plans, we've got to kind of stay ahead of that. And so looking and assessing what skills are needed, not only today from a, what the geospatial industry is, but also what's needed tomorrow and what's going to be needed in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And so part of what the committee has and, and the, the people that are sitting around the table is the K through 12 and academic institutions and non-traditional um, institutions are all sitting around the table trying to figure out how we stay ahead of the curve and that we're building and creating the workforce and the, the skills that are needed to continue to put St. Louis on the map as the geospatial hub. We're talking with Andy Deering, who's the project lead for the new Geo Futures effort in St. Louis. And the advisory committee, Andy, is like a, a who's who when it comes to the innovation community and our big tech-heavy businesses. We've got everyone from consulting firms like Booz Allen to folks uh, from geospatial-specific firms like Maxar and Esri to St. Louis tech firms, including Worldwide Technology, the Climate Corporation, and even the universities and other educational institutions from St. Louis University to Launch Code. Seems like everybody is on board with this effort, and we've heard so much about workforce as being the number one need, the number one priority. But what else is this advisory committee and what else is Geo Futures going to be doing to help position St. Louis for success here? Yeah, so I, you know, this this effort, uh, we're taking a similar path of what was taken 20 years ago um, with some of the plant and life sciences work that was done here from an economic development perspective. There was a study that was done with the Battelle study, and it really assessed, is this a ripe for the potential uh, for this industry segment. And then all the initiatives and policies and businesses that spun out of that were all part of a centralized plan that was all brought together by a group of people and organizations that helped make that possible. We're doing that again today, you know, 20 years later with a new industry that we see a lot of potential in. And so a baseline study has been created and done just to say, hey, you know, is are the right ingredients here? Um, and, and there is potential here. And now it's putting together a strategic plan that's not just, you know, what do we need from workforce development? What do we need from academic? What policies need to be created? What other initiatives and entrepreneurial efforts need to be, you know, generated and created to really make this thing a... Uh, uh, build the momentum and gain the steam that we need to have that carries it not just for the next couple of years, but carries this on out for the next 20 years. And so we've had uh, Don Rubin, the uh, president and CEO of BioSTL, on the show a number of times and speaking with them. Uh, and it sounds like, as, as you were just saying, this is, the, this is almost following the same structure and model and template that BioSTL used to establish uh, health and life science uh, ecosystem and really leverage that in St. Louis. And so now we're doing this with geospatial, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and so, uh, you know, we can look back and see where BioSTL started and see where we are today in the, uh, in, in the biotech space. Uh, since this is called 
uh, Geo Futures. Give us a look into the future. What does your crystal ball say? What does this look like 10, 15 years from now? Well, I, the geospatial landscape, if you, t- if you go back 10 to 15 years before this, it has drastically changed. And, and the advent of IT technologies, mobile devices, et cetera, are all very, very key and instrumental in this. And so um, where are we going to go in the next 10 to 15 years is where IT is going to be going. So things like artificial intelligence and machine learning will just be native and core to that. There's going to be more sensors and more ways to aggregate location-based information than before. And organizations, commercial, government, others are going to have to figure out how to aggregate that information to be able to make more effective decisions. And so you're going to see more commercial use cases that are going to be shared publicly, privately um, with government organizations and others that in having a place where the practice and the science of being able to fully realize and make those those informed decisions and, and algorithms and those sorts of things, that's all that all can be happened here. And as you think about trends on autonomous vehicles and what's needed for that, location plays a primary role in that. So you know, optimistically in the next 10, 15, 20 years, as these new startups are generated, as they're thinking about new ideas and new sensors or new IT models are, are generated, they find that, hey, St. Louis is a great home for them to build and grow their business. And we've got a great startup, um, you know, infrastructure that's already here. We've got great uh, talent pools that will already be here to where they can take that forward. And that we will be globally recognized as the leading leading center for location-based, you know, information systems and technology and talent. And that, that even, you know, the large businesses would be seeing us as, hey, Amazon moves their, their location intelligence headquarters here and Uber moves their, you know, autonomous vehicle systems here um, because they know that we have a talent pool that will help them realize the value of what we're creating. And Andy, when it comes to a Continuing on the BioSTL thread here, um, it, what uh, what are the different aspects, I guess, of GeoFutures? For instance, Bio has the education and the marketing aspect, Global STL, but then they also have uh, direct investment, BioGenerator, helping with funding for small-stage companies. And then they've just opened the new building in Cortex, providing a physical facility. Are you looking to create a similar ecosystem within the GeoFutures brand similar to what BioSTL has done with funding and, and facilities and that sort of thing? I think so. The the work has already kind of been discussed and started, but, you know, part of this, you know, next phase that we're going to do within the next six months is really generating a report and a recommendation on what needs to be created. And so out of the Battelle report, BioSTL was a recommendation to be created and some of those things that are around there. I think, you know, what we're seeing is it's ripe for that. And personally speaking, from my experience as CEO at Boundless, trying to find investment for your organization and trying to fully understand the potential of the geospatial industry, you know, the resources are going to be there to help support these types of organizations. And we're not having to go out to investment institutions and define, well, what is geospatial? The industry is here. It's it's well-defined and we're helping promote it. And so I think, providing those those aspects is really much needed ingredient to continue to grow this this ecosystem here. Thanks for joining us Andy Deering, the project lead for Geo Futures. Stick around. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio. 
KMOX. Save-A-Lot wants you to take a new look. The St. Anne-based national grocery chain is in the same lane as Aldi and the Kroger-owned Ruler Foods. The newest Save-A-Lot store in North City's Hamilton Heights neighborhood is a prototype for the future. Company calls the 17,000-square-foot location a major step forward. Let's get the scoop on this major hometown company with Winsight Grocery Business Editor John Springer. So, John, what's different about this new store versus the Save-A-Lot that we know? Well, they're refining the store a little bit, and they're, you know, in some ways they're becoming more like those that are competing with them. And and by that I mean Aldi, which has uh, really demonstrated a, uh, uh, you know, terrific growth trajectory in, in the past uh, five or six years through efficiency and, and product reformulations and store layout and everything else. They've really demonstrated a terrific model. And Save-A-Lot, uh, given its position, is, is sort of the second largest chain in the U.S. in that field, I think is taking some lessons from some of those guys. In terms of the customer shopping experience, when people walk in and the things that they notice, or maybe they don't notice how high the shelves are or what the lighting is, but what are the changes that physically are in this new location? And is this a new design that they anticipate to use as a, a template going forward? Uh, that's what they say. Um, the the store, you know, it's not often that the Save-A-Lot is building stores from the ground up. Um, you know, that company is, is primarily grown uh, through, you know, conversions of existing stores and, and uh, you know, second generation sites is all part of the, um, you know, the focus on efficiency. Uh, so this is a, a you know, a, somewhat of an unusual store that they had the opportunity to kind of design from the ground up and build. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what the customer will see in there, wider aisles, um, generally lower shelves, better lighting in the store, which comes not just from the lighting, but, but uh, also how they're using the windows and, and that kind of thing. For Save-A-Lot, you know, which has sort of been at work on kind of fixing the things that they feel like they can fix, you know, a new store is an opportunity to kind of put a lot of those practices into, you know, a single space. And so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, they're saying, you know, here's what our stores can look like yeah, from now on. How much control do they have on, uh, because so many of their locations are franchised, unlike a lot of other chains where it's company owned, how much control do they have in those situations when they want to execute a vision like this? Yeah, well, you know, that's that's been an issue with Save-A-Lot uh, over the years. Uh, every time the corporate will push out an initiative, and this is not just this management, but going back to or for uh, generations of people, you know, there are some, uh, you know, independent uh, uh, owner-operators who are, you know, feel like they've got a better handle on what works in their particular market. There's a, a constant discussion going on. It's the same thing in the fast food industry between the, you know, corporate McDonald's and their and their independently run McDonald's. Some of them are uh, would prefer the corporate do things differently from time to time. You also write in your article about uh, the store brand portfolio, the private brands, uh, some redesigns, and even some reformulations of the products themselves. Have they actually changed the product inside the wrappers, or have they just changed the packaging to make it uh, more appealing looking? I think it's a little bit of both. And again, this is a trend that you're seeing throughout retail now, where on the one hand, consumers are more interested in the unique products that a particular store has than they ever were. And so what they're doing is kind of taking these vast private labels that they have, and yeah, they're putting it in new packaging, 
In some cases, they're developing uh, new products, um, you know, that they hadn't before and kind of using the equity that they've got in the in some of these longstanding private brands that they have and, and, and trying to uh, get a little bit more out of them. And I think, you know, quality is also um, a concern of these places because uh, you don't want to disappoint customers um, even when they're when they're paying very little. Now, for these brands, specifically for Save-A-Lot, but generally, you know, we've mentioned Aldi and others, are they still exclusively focused on low-income customers, especially Save-A-Lot, or are we seeing a broadening where people who may have gone to a Schnucks or a Target or a Walmart are now saying, well, maybe I will take a look at Aldi or Ruler Foods or, in this case, Save-A-Lot? Yeah, uh, I mean, in Save-A-Lot's case, they'll still tell you that they are targeting a customer with a, a generally lower income. But, you know, no, no grocer is going to turn away business from anybody uh, who are, who's willing to spend uh, in their stores. And I think Save-A-Lot, you know, it, it understands that that's going to be part of it. You know, Aldi uh, is, a, is a good example of a, of a store that's really broadened its appeal among demographics. And then, again, that's part of what Aldi is doing, you know, making sure that their uh, products are good and, and, you know, their stores are clean and, and et cetera. But uh, it's also this consumer movement where they're a little bit less, uh, you know, beholden to, you know, old grocery brands and, and, and more willing to uh, try something else. Anything else? The field that, that Save-A-Lot is playing in is a, is a dynamic and uh, it's a fast-growing field here. Limited assortment, efficient discount stores. That it, you know, even though they're a small percentage of the, of the food retail industry overall, their influence is sort of you know, out kicking their coverage quite a bit. And, and you know, that's, that's save a lot's opportunity. John Springer, editor of Winsight Grocery Business, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thanks for having me on. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back. Michael Calhoun with you from West County Center inside We the People with two of the co founders of this retail concept Ryan Sim, managing director. Nissan Chan, Managing Director. Ryan and Nissan, thank you both so much. Uh, first off, how do you describe this store that we're in? What is We the People? It's the future, basically. So what we get is a collection of crowdfunded products and startups that were made possible with the world. That's what crowdfunding is all about. And we bring in all different types of interesting ideas, inventions from all over the world, including St. Louis, into one place where something like this never ever existed before. Now you can see the things you see online, now in a physical location. I've heard this described as, and you know, people love to do, oh, it's the Keurig of blank, or it's the Uber of blank, and make those comparisons. So I've heard this described as like the real world Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Would you say that that's a good description? That is very, very true to a certain aspect, because now... You get to see the same things you see online, but you can touch them now. What would you say are some of the coolest things in the store right now? And we can walk around and maybe you could point some out to me, but what do you think are the maybe the most novel or best-selling or whatever Whatever you think? Yep. Walk it over here. What is this? So this is called the Cup Cooler Instant. So basically, it looks like a... a what, what, what would I call this? It's a little platform. There's always a cup warmer, but never the cup cooler. So with this, you could chill your drinks in just less than 60 seconds. And if you want it to be extremely cold, it just takes you just five more minutes. 
It looks like it's one of those cup warmers. It's a little platform, and there's a, a bronze-colored uh, cup that's on top of it right now, and 60 seconds, it, it gets it cool. It's like a coaster on steroids. Very cool. Uh, what else do we have here? And, and these are, you said some are from St. Louis, but these could be from anywhere in the world, really. So we have, let me show you something from St. Louis. Perfect. Right. We did talk... Uh, a few months ago with Akeem Shannon from Flip, oh, Flipstick. Here it is right here. St. Louis success story. That's right. So Flipstick has been phenomenal. Um, they brought a very good product into the region. So basically, they're after the phone market, the phone accessory market. What you do is you stick it on your phone. You take it out. You can stick it on. You can now stick the phone onto any surface, any wall, anything. Um, and once you take it off from the wall, you can wash it. The thing is that it's washable and transferable. Using a new, new substance, a new mixture to uh, to create that stick, but without leaving the residue. That's right. So that that technology is actually from NASA. Um, so NASA used that same stickiness technology to stick down their wires in the shuttles, but. Now they reformulated it and used it for a phone accessory. Very cool. Solving a problem that people face all the time. When it comes to uh, some of the other items in here, maybe a couple more examples of if people come out to West County Center and they go to We the People, what they'll run into. So this is the, well, Masterbox. It's actually a fidget presenter. I know some of you guys, actually a lot of you guys would remember the fidget cube or the fidget spinner. So I want you to think about the fidget cube, the same thing, but now it's a presenter. So what you get is a ball, which is a mouse. You also get left and right clicks. You can hear the clicks there. Yeah. You get an up and down page scroll. You even have a laser pointer because it's a presenter. You can tell people what to look at. And it also comes equipped with a SD card reader if you're using a Samsung, right? You can read your SD card. So here's the added benefit, and this let me tell you what this is for. So first-time presenters can be quite nervous all the time, right? So having a fidget cube to talk about um, can calm down their nerves. At the same time, the audience won't be looking at their faces. They'll be looking at their hand. That's what it's for. It's a tool. It's a gray cube. It's small, so it fits in the palm of your hand. It's not like it's a uh, Rubik's cube that you know you're going to be f- really fidgeting around with. And it's got all these buttons on it for control of whatever presentation you're making. Yeah, that's right. So it has well six different surfaces. Um, you probably have seen the fidget cube around. So you can hear that these are the tactile stuff, tactile sounds that you can make. Yeah, that's pretty much what it does. Where is this, the company that made this, or the startup that made this, where are they from? They're from Toronto. Wonderful. And each of these products has uh, the location. This one's from East Palo Alto, California, Silicon Valley, Singapore, Chicago. And We the People has uh, roots in Singapore, correct? Yeah, that's right. We're actually based in Singapore. Uh, we have about four main stores in Singapore. Our biggest one is about 5,000 square feet. It's huge. Uh, we have a very big offering of products. But here's the interesting thing. Most of the products there are from the U.S. So, hence, we decided, hey, it's about time we should open up in the U.S. because most of the creators are here. Right, that's why we open up. And this is the first one in the country, St. Louis. Are malls, do you think, the route that you want to go for retail locations, at least in the United States? Is that still... Because people see the stories about all the, the retailers going out of business, whether they're in strip malls or shopping malls. But is this still the place for you to be? 
That's right. So we got to work with the correct malls at the same time. So I know a lot of them are not doing super well. Um, we have to find the right partners with the right vision. Uh, West County Mall is the perfect place for us. Uh, they're doing a stellar job at keeping the good flow of people coming all the time. So yes, mall environment works for us. And why St. Louis? Why this metro area for the first foray into the United States? I mean, why not, guys? Why? Why not? Okay, so St. Louis is right, almost right smack in the center of the country, right? And we do have plans to expand our efforts to other locations later on. Um, not, sure, not so sure where yet, but it's a lot easier to build the infrastructure from the heart. And then we expand forward from there. Um, when it comes to trucking, training, logistics, and everything is a bit more cost-efficient over here. So could St. Louis maybe be the you know distribution center when you open these other stores in other parts of the country? You've got the centrally located uh, place here, and so uh, it seems like you could maybe use this as, as the hub as you open stores elsewhere in the country. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what the plan is. This will be the heart that pumps the blood throughout the whole country when we have more stores. So this will support everything. I'm interested in how you come across all of these products, how you find them, how do you d- determine which ones make the cut? Um, do you just endlessly kind of scroll through those websites where people list their products, or do you go to startup incubators, or how do you find this stuff? I think it's a mixture of everything. We get like 200,000 products on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, so we receive countless messages as well as emails daily from creators so we get samples we try we test we want to ensure that the products that we sell in the store it's safe for customers we want to ensure that they are paying something that is worth their money it's value for money so that's what we want to be with kickstarter products i think there's a lack of trust sometimes when people see them online but in the physical store in a physical in a physical context i think people get to try they get to touch they get to experience our customer service so that's why people buy them i guess that is the the ability to come in and that might be what saves retail brick and mortar retail is people want to be able to whether it's clothes try it on or for these these products especially a presentation cube I'd never used one of those or seen one of those before. I'd probably want to try it out before I bought one. Yes, it is. Um, I think it gives people the confidence. It gives people the knowledge as well as the experience. So um, they want to have someone speak to them about the technical aspects. They want people to, you know, provide them a service that they feel comfortable in spending. Because, uh, I mean, we get a range of products that you see online, but... When you receive them, it's, you know, not so good. But here, you know that we have a team that provides you uh, after-customer care service that allows you to feel safe. What's been the response from customers here in St. Louis as you've moved from just getting started with a kind of a pop-up shop, a little impromptu shop, to this permanent location? Uh, What's the response been? Do you have any kind of, you know, sales metrics that you use to measure success? Or how do you determine whether, you know, the St. Louis... Uh, location is has been successful for you. Well, for us, it's very clear and simple. It's just how often people come back to the store, not to the store in one month. And right now in St. Louis, I see the same people coming back at least four times a month to us to buy new stuff, not to return to buy new stuff and return. And return yeah, no, to buy new stuff specifically, and it's it's phenomenal because it's not something that we ever expected anywhere in the world. So to us, that's a great measure of success. And then from the other perspective, the folks who are making, whether it's these RFID protection wallets that we're looking at here or these uh, cool watches, what are these? Uh, The everyday watch, whether it's 
whatever these products are, how is this helping these creators? Uh, and what's been the response from them? I guess if you're getting all these pitches, the word's getting out, and they want in on this, right? All right. So how we work with creators is a portion of uh, whatever we sell here, that money goes back to them to continue creating. But here's the more important thing. So what we do for creators is the service. Uh, when I say service, is the way we do our retail. It's, it's the only reason why we're surviving here. We do retail in a very different way, a different light. We make sure that when you buy something from the store, you know who created it, um, and you will fall in love with the brand. It's not, it will never be pushed down to you in that way. So when you buy something here, you bring it home with pride. You're happy to have it. Um, and that's great for the creators because that's building brand equity for them. And that's our goal. We are here to build brands. We're not here to push products. No, we're not here to earn excessive amount of money. We're here to put, build brands. That's what we're for. Nason, Ryan, thank you both so much for giving me the tour of the store here. And where can people go uh, if they want to go online and find some more information? Or where in West County Center are we located right now? Where can they find you in this mall? All right, well, we're on the second floor of West County Center. Uh, you can find us right across American Eagle. So that's pretty easy to find. So don't worry about it. We're quite near the food court as well. Uh, our website is http colon slash slash store. USA.com. WPTStoreUSA.com. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. So you can get things uh, that you see online prior to Kickstarter. You can actually buy them in the mall now. That is pretty cool. And you know what else has been cool? Doing the show outside and in the basement of St. Matthew's, now the fellowship over in Cherokee. Yeah, we're at Jefferson and Potomac. The Cherokee statue is just a block away. A lot of people out on the sidewalks here. And as we heard earlier, this place is becoming a community focal point, gathering point for them. It's, it's really cool to see these churches repurposed. And, you know, a lot of things in St. Louis, especially as we look at the tech landscape, where this town and this city is all about repurposing uh, itself and, and finding a new vision. And, you know, this, this show does that every week, I like to think. Yeah, the fellowship is an underground venue, you could say, at the moment. But uh, can't wait to check back in with Darian and find out what happens with the rest of this beautiful building. And you should check back in with us next week as we do another show of Nothing Impossible. See you then. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.